0: Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here, Aisha Tyler. Tron Colquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're
1: Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast.
0: Ow! What's up? What is up? I'm your host, Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. This week, I'm joined by...
2: Annie Fell, Senior Editor...
0: Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. Happy New Year.
2: Happy New Year. Thanks for having me.
0: Annie, you have put together an amazing show for this week. I could not have had more fun listening to it. I laughed out loud while I was editing it. I also had to tweet a quote. Can I share listeners what I had to tweet? Please do. I have balls. I always have had balls and I always have said it. I keep them in my head where they can't get kicked.
2: Amazing.
0: That from none other than Susie Quattro in conversation with L7's Donita Sparks.
2: I listened in on the phone to this conversation and I was smiling literally the whole time. (laughs) These are two living legends. And to hear them talk to each other is just it's a ride.
0: It really is. And the reason they got together here is the new documentary, Suzy Q. This is a feature-length doc by Liam Firmisher that's just being released. It's screening right now in New Zealand. It's been in theaters in Australia and Britain and should be coming out worldwide very soon.
2: And Donita appears in it too.
0: She does, alongside some other legends, Joan Jett, Alice Cooper, Tina Weymouth, Lita Ford, and of course, Susie's old co-star, Henry Winkler. The the Fonz. Today's talk was recorded between Donita's home in Los Angeles and... Hamburg, Germany, where Susie's been spending a lot of her time.
2: Now, I don't say this lightly, but Susie Quattro is a true icon. She was born and raised in Detroit, where she got her start as the bassist in the all-girl garage rock band, The Pleasure Seekers, with her sister, Patty. And then she went on to a smash success solo career in the UK with hits like Can the Can and Stumbling In, but she didn't really become a household name in the US until her role as Leather Tuscadero in Happy Days.
0: (laughs) She's sold 50 million records and it takes being Leather Tuscadero to make a splash in America, but uh, a truly hilarious and iconic role.
2: In the decades since, Susie has really not stopped working at all. As she says in the talk, her friends call her the Energizer Bunny. And last year, she released her latest solo album, No Control, which she co-wrote with her son, Richard Tucky.
0: Yeah, that record came out in 2019. But Energizer Bunny, that she is, she has just dropped a fantastic new single, Heart on the Line. Let's check it out. She still got it.
2: There's no stopping this woman.
0: (laughs) There is also no stopping our other guest on this podcast, Donita Sparks. Like Susie, Donita's from the Midwest. She was born in Chicago, but really came to prominence as one of the lead singers and guitarists of the LA rock slash grunge band L7. They made a big splash in the grunge scene of the 90s. Annie, I definitely first heard of Donita back in 92 during the famous tampon incident. Do you know about this?
2: Yeah, I've heard some, <laughs> I've heard about it.
0: This is this is listeners when Donita was getting into it with the crowd at Reading Fest in England, didn't like their attitude and pulled out a bloody tampon and proceeded to throw it straight into the crowd.
2: I remember reading about that in high school and thinking <laughs> she was just the fucking coolest.
0: She definitely is. L7 started back in 1985 and had an amazing run until 2001 when they hung it up. Danita went on to release a solo record, as well as a bunch of collaborations. L7 got back together in 2014 and released a couple really cool records. There was an album of rarities, covers, and odds and ends that was called Fast and Frightening. That dropped in 2016. And then the next year, they released a show that had been recorded in 1990 called Detroit Live. But it took until May of 2019 for the band's first full-length LP of new material since 1999 to come out. That was Scatter the Rats.
2: Let's check out the album's opener, Burn Baby. God, it's so good to have them back.
0: Yes. Now, Annie, Donita and Susie got into quite a bit in this conversation. Honestly, I could have listened for another three hours, but in the 45 or so minutes that we have with them, they get into sidestepping gender identification in their careers, but also knowing when to pull the, quote, female card.
2: Or the, quote, pussy premium.
0: <laughs> yes, new new term there.
2: They talk their influences and how Danita discovered Susie's music.
0: And we get to have some insight on their use of speaking via characters or as themselves in their songwriting.
2: Susie tells us about her ego
0: room. We hear about Donita's time travel crush.
2: Susie gives Danita an astrological assessment.
0: <laughs> we also get to hear her life mantra in lyrics, as well as what she's going to do when it's her time to kick the bucket. Should we roll the tape?
3: Let's do it. Donita, they're leaving us here on the shit, okay? I know. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to... I know. So <laughs> they're going to leave it all up to us. This is fine. Let's just begin you and I, That's okay? right.
1: I got gotcha. you. We're good. I'm with you, sister. Okay, everybody, we are starting now. Donita, let me say hello to you first. Susie Quattro, such an honor to be speaking with you. Wow, this is super cool. Well, I want to thank you very much, first and foremost, for your contribution
3: to my DVD. I liked what you said. I liked how you said it. So it's nice to meet you. I haven't met you before, but I did do a little bit of research. Okay. I listened to some of your music. Right on. Yeah, and you are a, what I call, grunge heavy.
1: Yes, and we do like our catchiness when we're lucky enough to catch it. (laughs) So yeah, all those things. And it was super cool to be asked to be in your dock. Uh it was very unexpected. I was in Australia and it was very cool to be a part of that. And Liam was very nice. The director, what's his last name?
3: Oh god, I could never say it. Firminger, I think Furminger. it is. Firminger. Yes.
1: And yeah. and the it's name a strange name, yeah. The name of your doc is Susie Q, is that correct? That's correct. Right on. That's just
3: the shortened version. <laughs> So um uh, it is Susie Quattro,
1: yeah, just a, a funny anecdote. Um, I was on an airplane a couple years ago, and I had just cut my hair kind of like in a kind of like yours back in the day, kind of a 70s shag right. and uh, there were two Australian people sitting next to me on the flight, and they were like, oh. Oh, doesn't she look like someone? And they were going back and forth. And I was like, <laughs> and they were Australian. And I was like, they think I look like Susie Quattro. And I just, I just kind of let them go on. And I didn't tell them who I was because they probably wouldn't know who I was anyway, but it was just kind of funny. And finally they said, Susie, she looks like Susie. So that was my Susie Quattro, um, doppelganger moment. Now I'll tell you something just about that haircut, just to digress a
3: second. <laughs> I went in to the hairdressers in in London where I was living from Detroit. And uh, it was right after I'd had about three hits. And I went into the hairdresser in Bond Street, so a high-class hairdresser. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, okay, here's what I want. And I described the haircut that you had done.
1: Okay? <laughs> that I had and done. And this
3: hairdresser said to me, yeah, the hairdresser said to me, I can't do that. I said, why not? He said, that's not a haircut. I said, it is do it. And it became the Susie Quadruair. Nice. He said, I can't do it. I'm a professional.
1: (laughs) Nice. Because in your documentary, I saw many different hairdos of yours over the years, starting with your garage rock days, which was amazing to hear about that stuff and how you were affected by that Beatles performance, just like the rest of the world was. Absolutely. When, when, when did you start? When, when did you start? That wasn't your moment. It no. you wasn't the
3: Beatles, was it? No,
1: I'm, I'm just yeah. always fascinated how that performance of the Beatles launched so much rock and roll in the United States with garage bands and just like everybody was getting bands together. Uh, I know you and your sisters and some friends put a band together. There were a few female garage rock bands, correct? Yeah, there were quite a few actually. Yeah, yeah. quite a few that I knew yeah. of anyway. Yeah. But you were the OG who hit international fame later. Later, yes. Not, not as part of a, of a band. Right.
3: Yeah, and you kind of said it yourself. It was bound to happen, surely. A, a girl was going to break through, if not a band, a girl. And it needed a particular kind of girl. And I think that the reason it became me to be the first serious rock and roll musician uh, female, and I don't even like saying the gender at all, yeah. was because I didn't do gender. And you said that in in your clip in my thing. I don't do gender. I still don't do now. I'm a musician. End of. I'm a musician.
1: Correct. And I hear you. And that's how you feel, right? I hear you. I think it's funny, too, that um, I've heard you say that you, and it's in your documentary, that when you were a kid, you saw Elvis, and you said, I want to be that. I want to be that. And it didn't matter if there was a a male or a female role model. It was like Elvis was your role model. And I feel the same way because like Jagger was my role model. And- There you go. Same kind of thing. Same kind of thing. And then I heard, which is really funny, that Steven Tyler of Aerosmith uh, admittedly channels Janis Joplin and Jagger channels Tina Turner. So like it doesn't- come to into our minds so much as maybe No, gender does not come into it half the time. Yeah, and I think journalists are really kinda stuck on that and it's just not the case. Well they always
3: were. They I always had I had a huge thing with it when I first, you know, came to the fore and had my first hits, you know, and I, I used to think, what are you asking these questions for? Yeah. What does it matter? Yeah. The only time, and I don't know how you feel about this because you're a different generation than me, the only time that I will pull the female card, and I will pull it, is when a situation gets out of hand. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're standing with a bunch of guys and you're telling the jokes and you're drinking the beer and you're having whatever you're doing, and things get a little bit out of hand. I will then pull the female card Mm -hmm. and say, that's enough. That's enough. And I try to teach the younger generation women who somehow seem to have forgotten that, that that is where the difference comes in. Mm -hmm. There is a man and there is a woman. I don't do gender for what I'm allowed to do whatsoever. I mean, you know, I have balls. I always have had balls. And I always have (laughs) said it. I keep them in my head where they can't get kicked. So there you go. But there (laughs) is a
1: line that you don't cross. And then I will the feminine card. Do you do that? Um, I, I've been thinking of charging a pussy premium if we are on, a, <laughs> if, we're asked to, if we're asked to play a metal festival or like a punk rock festival where there are no other yeah. women on the bill. It's like, yes. I think we deserve a pussy premium to make them look like they're not piggos. So, um, That's so funny. <laughs> I think that we all need to start <laughs> tagging that onto our contracts, but, uh, yeah. I actually have a line in a song called Fast and Frightening that says, uh, got so much clit, she don't need no balls. So there's another <laughs> way of looking at it too, but a, uh,
3: it's, a, it's all the same thing anyway. It's all the same. It's thing. all the same thing anyway. Yeah. I, I, I just feel that, like, um, I don't know. I am under the illusion or whatever, but safely, that I'm six foot tall and I can do whatever I want. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And I've never questioned it. Nothing scares me. I mean, I shouldn't say nothing. Of course, God comes up with you a gun. You're going to be scared. But basically, I'm pretty much who I am. Do not question it. Do not challenge it. And I don't know about you. I get asked this question all the time and it drives me mad. And this, I, I hate it. But all the time I get asked what was it like being the only female in a male-dominated industry? I want to shoot myself when I get asked that, you know? And my answer always is the same, that I believe, this is just my personal opinion, that you get back what you put out. So if you put out this sort of, um, how do you put it, this woman who's showing you I can do it as good as you, that attitude, then that's what you get back, okay? If you just put out that, hey, this is me, non-gender, doing what I do, then that's what you get back. So I always had respect because I guess my attitude demanded it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think... um for my band L7, we didn't really have a problem with our peers very much. I don't think they cared. I think they thought it was cool. What generation did you start in? What year did you start? You know, we started in like 85, but we struggled See? and didn't get in any... No, no, but it was
3: it was post-me. Oh, it yes, was post-me. Oh, yeah. So so that had already been blown apart. Bo-da-da-da-da. It's okay for women to be in bands. So but you're saying that you still had that problem? starting in those years.
1: Yeah, but not with our musician peers. We had it with like the suits at labels and and promoters and 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 some media was very obsessed with our gender, but we weren't and neither were the bands that we toured with, whether they were male or female. They, you know, it uh, it was a hang-up that was not Really, amongst our peers, it was just the, when we started to get more attention onto our band and being interviewed and such, then it became this sort of um, obsession with our gender, which we really didn't even think about that much, to be honest. It was just like...
3: No, that's good. And,
1: and that's the know, way to
3: do it. That's yeah. the way to do it. Yeah. And, and that does happen, unfortunately. I mean, I have a complaint about, I don't know how you feel about this, you're the generation after me, I have a complaint about a lot of uh, the females of right now today's attitude. And, you know, I say it straight out, I wish they put a few more clothes on.
1: You know, I'm with because you. Because
3: I, don't, I don't like it that it's almost soft porn in a way. And if you're not playing to the men doing that, even though you think you're in control, are uh, you really in control?
1: That's so funny that you say that because I, um, <laughs> I've said that before in interviews and I feel like, oh God, you know, I mean, that's not, you know, I grew up as a feminist, um, a conscious feminist. My mother was a feminist and, and um, okay. I, I don't know if you did, but like that, that kind of um, presentation, as far as when you're being an artist, uh, um, it wasn't really um, what was sort of looked up to, you know, it was kind of um, not existing for the male gaze, as they call it now, meaning eyes, gaze, not homosexual gaze, but it's a, it's a weird thing seeing all these pop stars with no pants on. It's like, come on, every now and then. I can't stand can it. Can you put something on? I can't stand it. <laughs> I mean, why? <sighs> you know, and, and
3: you know what the sad thing is, though, Danae? the sad thing is is a lot of the, and there's a lot of talent around, don't get me wrong, a lot of talent. They think because they, they think, they think, this is the key phrase, they think they're choosing to dress that way because they want to. But what they're actually doing is bowing to the male preference. And this is what I object to.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think every once in a while, you know, if you want to really let it all hang out with being scantily clad or whatever. But like it, the the fact that it's constant is, in my mind, very questionable. If it were just an occasional, you know, flash or whatever, it's like fine. Yeah, sure, you know, sure, but, sure, um, sure, 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 uh, sure. Yeah, so I, I'm with you on that. Um, And you chose to, early on, why don't you tell everybody? I went anti it. No makeup. Yeah. You know, I
3: I, I didn't, I wanted to be, I had it in my head, I want to be taken as a serious musician, okay? I didn't say male or female, a serious musician. So I went anti that. I didn't want to go out there like that. There I am with a leather suit, I know. But I was totally clothed, and I had no makeup on.
1: Yeah, and you loved Elvis is black leather. <laughs> and I did. So you went with the black leather jumpsuit, which is amazing. I mean, your performances are just so like uh, inspiring. You know, I feel robbed as a kid that I was not exposed to you because in Chicago, you know, we, we have a few things that are um, similar. I have three older sisters I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Chicago. Oh my gosh! Okay, you're just across the water, Lake I, Michigan. Here we are. That's right. <laughs> I'm 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 half Italian uh, of Italian oh my descent. God. Yes. So, okay. um, you know, we we have some similar things. We do, but you know, Chicago radio in the '70s was not playing Susie Quattro. No, I didn't have much airplay. No, it wasn't playing any of the stuff coming out of England. No. Except for The Suite. They played Ballroom Blitz and they played Little Willie. Yes, yes, they did. Correct. And
3: other than that... I had had a lot of album track play, but a lot of the singles that were hits all over the world were not... They didn't get in the American charts. There was a whole, whole era that didn't happen there.
1: No, and I feel absolutely robbed as a young person not being aware of you. I remember when you came on Happy Days. I had always heard of you, Susie Quattro, but, you know, it just wasn't as easy to find you. There wasn't YouTube, of course. It wasn't an easy investigation to get to your music especially young, you know, 11, 12 years old, I was, I knew your name, you know, and I I knew you were a rocker. I just was not aware of your music until I was an adult, I think, or like late teens. But I want you to know that I feel personally robbed (laughs) that I was not aware of you. (laughs) Yeah, but you know me now. You know me now, I know, but you (laughs) would have been, you would have been so encouraging of my kind of approach of my presentation, you know, so it, it's just a weird thing. Like, I feel robbed. Some artists you do discover later, I have the same kind of thing, certain people like
3: did not do later in life. It doesn't matter when you come to the table, you come to the table. But
1: that's right, that's, that's right. That's, that's fine. How many people in your band, four? Four, yep. We started out okay. with uh, three gals and a guy on drums. And then uh, early on, he was let go. And then we were a four females since about 89. And we broke up in 2001, I think. And then we reunited five years ago. So we had a big lapse, bad blood, falling out for a while. And then it was like, eh, screw it. Water under the bridge. Let's reunite and have some fun. And that's what we've been doing for like the last four years. So that's been... That's been really good to get the rock back on. And I think we've both had our albums released at about the same time. I know Control
3: came out March 29th of this year. And you had your Scatter the Rats, didn't you?
1: Yes, that came out in May as well. And um, I know you have a new single out right now, Hard on the Line, which I heard. Did you write that?
3: Yes, I wrote and produced it and did the arrangement.
1: Nice. Did I get a tear down your eye? <laughs> you did. The The chorus is very touching. Was Is that like, are you speaking from a character or from yourself? Everybody wants to know that question. Oh, okay, you I don't have, have to. to.
3: Give, <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to give the answer. It is. It is something about myself, but because it's so personal, I don't wish to share the story. But I will say that many times when we are in some kind of situation where We're trying to make our point heard. And we're thinking that the other person is being, you know, listening to this and receptive and blah, blah, blah. And then we suddenly realize it's not about them at all. Yeah. It's about yourself. That's why I mean when I say, this is my heart on the line. Whatever you're saying to me, this is me that's hurting. Me. Not you. Me. Right. So you're taking ownership of
1: the pain. Does that make sense? It does. And I also listen to No Soul, No Control. Mm. And I love the line I gotta hold on to me. That's just so great. Is that the truth? It's so great. It's Do you know what? I gotta
3: I gotta tell you, there's only that's I, I've never done this in my 55 years in the business. But when I go on stage and I play that song, I actually speak the lyrics to the audience,-huh, because I want them to hear it. And somebody asked me about maybe three weeks ago now, all the songs you've written, which one is really you, really you? And I always say, okay, my, my heart and my soul is hard on the line. That's You never get a more important song to me emotionally. But if you want to know my mantra, how to get through this life, it's the lyrics on no soul, no control. You can't take away my soul. I'm going to do it to you now. You can't take away my soul. You can't break me. I'm in control. You can't take my heart, my mind. This time I won't let go. You can't take away
1: my soul. No, 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 no. That's right. That's the truth, isn't it? Yeah, and I like it a lot, and I like the video too. And it, you're a performer, you know. You sell it uh, like you always have, and, you know, I I wanted to. Did you know that Can the Can has over 28 million views on YouTube? I know. <laughs> isn't that insane? It's amazing. I saw I that. I was the... like, what? Twenty. I know. Million. It's like what? <laughs> Those are like uh, amazing. Gaga numbers, Lady Gaga numbers or something.
3: It's amazing. I like going on YouTube and seeing all the videos and stuff. I, I'm always amazed at the numbers. So a lot of people out there, you know, whether you grew
1: up with me or not, you're hooked in. I have a time travel crush on your old drummer, the long-haired Oh, guy. you mean Dave Neal? <laughs> yeah. What's his name? Dave Neal. He Dave was a Neal. cutie. Yeah, I'm like, ooh, he's fine. Oh, <laughs>
3: <laughs> he, I always told him. I, he, he always says it to me whenever I meet up with him. I, I even said it in my book Zipped, I said, "Dave was the handsome one." And whenever I see Dave, he says, "You said I was the handsome one." I said, "Yes, Dave. it's Okay, you were." <laughs> He's a good-looking boy yeah. and a very nice man. He had a, a unfortunate. Um, he had a stroke.
1: Oh no! Yeah, it Poor was. A, guy. It's. A,
3: in fact, you brought it up, so I'll, I'll tell the story. He, uh, I, I had a drummer for a long time, couldn't do this particular show, so I went to two other drummers of mine, being Dave and another one that I had for a long time, uh, Colin Woolway. and I said, I need, a, I need a drummer for this one gig. You know, it's a long set. Mm-hmm. And my, my original drummer, Dave, he said, please, Susie, please let me do it. I said, okay, Sure. You were my first drummer. So he rehearsed and rehearsed or rehearsed and rehearsed it. We did a sound check. We did a one-time rehearsal at my home. He had it down pat. He took it so seriously. Going to do this gig. And he did the gig, I believe it was Switzerland. I'm pretty sure. I hope I'm not wrong. And uh, he did it great, I have to say. Well, I mean, he played on all the hits anyway, so he would do that great, but he did a great show. And he went home, and the next day, he slid off his chair,
1: And he had a stroke.
3: Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, and now he's in a wheelchair, and he hasn't come out the wheelchair, and he was at the first documentary premiere in London.
1: Wow. What a
3: trooper. bless him. What a trooper. And I felt bad. What if I hadn't let him do that show, and everybody says, don't be so stupid, you know, because uh, that's that's not me. He wanted to do it, but he did it. But uh, um, he's a lovely man. He's a good drummer. I've loved him for years like you did. When he left the band, I thought about stopping because we had such a tight unit, you know? Mm -hmm. But, of course, I never would. (laughs) I can never stop.
1: Yeah. No, that's amazing It's not in my DNA. (laughs) You're the Energizer bunny.
3: Oh, God, that's (laughs) what all my friends call me. Now, you have to tell me when your birthday is. I have to know that
1: now at this stage of the conversation. My birthday is April 8th, 1963. Okay. So you're Aries. I'm Aries. You're a Gemini, right? Oh, completely.
3: Yeah. I couldn't be more Aries. I mean, more more Gemini. More Gemini. And I'm talk. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't be more Gemini. Um, Aries, yeah, okay. So Aries and Gemini, we're fine together. I I kind of follow it. I I've studied it for many many years. Yeah, and I get it. Do you are you in you into it? You're not into it.
1: I I like that people are into it. I think I was raised to God, you know. I I think I was raised to be a skeptic, but I fall for stuff all the time. So I'm like this kind of, I'm kind of a sucker skeptic, uh, (laughs) sucker skeptical, (laughs) (laughs) with my (laughs) getting roped into things. But no, I don't. But I, I I have friends who are really into astrology. I think it would just drive me crazy because there's so many nuances to it and so many oh you know, the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns I with know. Mars. <laughs> you know, like... I, yeah, but you know all that
3: is? I'll tell you what, I'll explain that real quickly. If you get your actual birth chart done from where you were born in the time of the year and blah, 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 the actual, exact details, and you give it to a specialist, they will then do you your complete chart of your life, of what the heavens and the stars and the waters, and, you know, we believe that the tides affects all that stuff. So it all works. And they tell you your entire... History And when you get the expert to do a chart for you, this is the amazing thing, how right they get it. At this stage, this happens. At this stage, this happens. You go, oh, my God. Anyway, the only reason I got into it was because I wondered why I could never coast on an even line. Mm. And everybody I knew could coast, and I can't coast. I'm either going or I'm sleeping. I'm either happy or I'm suicidal. And my dad gave me um, a a book on astrology, a very Mm -hmm. old one. And I read Gemini and I went,
1: oh, my God, that's me. So it got me interested in the subject. That's, that's why I believed in it anyway. Now, I heard you, I saw an interview with you on some Australian morning talk show or something. And you say that you are also into the psychic scene. Uh, you feel very, that you I've have... I've got all
3: my channels. Yeah, all my channels are open. That's what I say. Yeah. But do you want to know the
1: future? Because don't oh ask God. me. <laughs>
3: no, you know, know. what, there's only, there's only, that's a funny question, yes. And I say it lots of times at dinner parties because I like to see people's reactions. <laughs> there's only one thing I would like to know. Most people disagree with me, but a few people agree. I would like to know the exact minute and date and day of my sell-by date. Ooh, you do? Wow. I know most people say, are you crazy? <laughs> and I say no, but I don't know, maybe I'd just like to get my rider ready and my bass all tuned up and my set right. list ready, you know, so I'm already... No, I just would like to know. Don't ask
1: me why. I would like to know. I want to know, would you doll yourself up a bit? Would you put makeup on? Would you put your your, <laughs> your leather suit on? Would you, would you be dressed for stage or would you be dressed for comfort for your sell-by date?
3: I'm going to give you credit, my dear. That was a clever question. (laughs) (laughs) Now, which would I do? Let me think for a minute. Would I go to my grave as little Susie from Detroit or Susie Quattro? Let me think. Hmm. Okay. I would go as both, which means maybe dressed in leather, but no makeup.
1: No makeup. Okay. So the little girl, but dressed
3: as Susie Quattro.
1: There you go. I do both. Okay. Do you want to be cremated or do you want to be buried? Let's, let's go there. Let's do it. Um, I think I'd rather be buried so mm. that, that my children would have someplace to visit me. But then you are leaving it up to the mortician to do your makeup. Could be a problem. Uh, as long as I put it in my will, no makeup. Oh, okay.
3: <laughs> and I have, right. I have a book that I'm doing at home, and maybe you can give me your quote now. I've had quotes from many, many famous people. It's my next book I'm going to release. It's called Grave Undertakings. And it's all about what you want put on your tombstone. I have a lot of famous people, a lot of famous quotes. My quote is I'm going to have my my tombstone. Oh, now I get it. Ah. (laughs) It's too late. It's too late. So, what would you like on your tombstone?
1: (laughs) I don't know if I'd like it, but I think it might be appropriate. Um, I'm still confused. Here lies Janita Sparks. I'm still still confused. confused. I still haven't figured it out.
3: I love, um, there's a very famous English comedian called Spike (laughs) Mulligan from The Goons, and his was the best. He said, I told you I was ill. Oh, Oh. There's a lot That's of great good. ones, just a lot of great ones. I've I've had some very funny quotes. Some some people who I thought would say a funny one have said some very serious ones. So it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm going to try to illustrate it a bit. But I've, I've been working on it for many years. Anyway, now we know. So now let's get on to happier things. Um, so who's in your band now?
1: Uh, the other gal that founded it with me, Susie Gardner. She's also uh, we both play guitar and sing, and we both are songwriters. And Dee Plackis is our drummer. And Jennifer Finch is our bassist, singer, songwriter. So three of us write. Susie and I are the founders. You know, we went through a lot of um, personnel changes early on, but that's kind of our classic lineup. And uh, everybody was in for the reunion. So that was super great because I really didn't want to do it without them. And uh, it's just been a really good time. So... You know, it's it once you once you start doing it again. I mean, I I put out a solo album in between when we were broken up. Oh right, okay. I was still doing music, but it just didn't. Something about L seven is just a it's a very powerful feeling on stage. Oh, that's what I wanted to ask you. Okay, like when I'm with my bandmates, I just feel like we're this force of four people. You know, and mm-hmm. it's just like very. There's no there's no front person. You've always been a front person. Oh God, completely. Oh. Do you feel more invincible with your regular band or like, do you feel a part of a band or do you feel like Suzy Quattro front person?
3: Um, I've always been, to be honest, Anita, I've always been Suzy Quattro front person. But saying uh. that, um, and that was even from the very first time with the Pleasure Seekers, you know, I mean, there's a famous quote from my manager when we first started and, and I didn't want him to say it, but he did. He says to the other girls, we got to put all the lights on Susie because she's the fun person. I didn't ask for that to be said. It got said. So I've always been aware of my front person capabilities. But saying that, every band member that has worked with me has always said the same thing, that I give them the space to shine on stage. Mm-hmm. So I'm part of it I like being part of the unit you know I'm definitely I'm a bass player for Christ's sake you know you don't stand out there by yourself and play the bass you're part of the unit and especially the drummer and I like everybody to be able to shine so I'm always a fun person yes I'm always in charge yes um but I am part of the unit that I'm with while I'm on the stage yeah. so I share I share if that makes sense.
1: yes. It's weird. My band is weird because with three of us singing and being up front and then our drummer, it's, um, you know, the the most clever thing I heard uh, anybody say about L7 is that we're kind of like the Beatles. Now, granted, we don't have the songs that the Beatles did, but, um, you know, it's kind of that sort of... Uh, Every you know, so and so is going to take a song, or so and so wrote this one. You know, we've got a George, a John, a Paul, and a Ringo. So yeah, but that's it's, great. It's, that's it great is great. To say and we, that, yeah, and we didn't intend it to be that way, but it just sort of worked out that way. So because I think we're all we're all bossy bitches.
3: Okay, but even with the Beatles, each front Beatle George, Paul, and John, they each had their own little character to play. So even though the three of you are together front, you said you all sing singing and you all write songs. Is there a sort of f- obvious front of the three of you?
1: Well, I stand in the middle and... So it's you. But I always have to say at Soundcheck, I always have to tell the lighting person, because we've never had the money to travel with a lighting person. You know, they they shine all the lights on me. And I was like, no, 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 just give us a wash, an equal wash, because it's, it's all of us. Even though I stand in the center and I'm kind of... Um, I'm doing the most business-wise and, and interview things. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm a bit more of a front person than maybe the others, but we, we do like to keep it... Yeah, no, no, but you know what? I'll tell you what happens, So even in, in what you just said, and it certainly happened to me,
3: the audience kind of dictates without you trying, just by being who you are, by everybody being who they are, the audience will dictate where their eyes go, and it happens. This is how right. front... People-ish, even if it's ish or if it's complete front like me, which I am, this is how they're found. The audience dictates. I knew from a very young age, very young, might have been seven or eight, doing little family shows and all that, that when I went up to do my little bit, whatever it might be, everybody stopped and watched and went quiet. So you do realize if that's your thing. I, I know what you're saying. You're comfortable with the wash of it, but you are smart enough to say that you are the head of that wash.
1: Well, it's weird because like when we formed, any woman playing hard rock was a total alpha. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like at that time, it was like, if you were playing rock and a female, you were an alpha bitch, you know? So it's like, um, we're all pretty feisty and we all... You know, when the band broke up, and and I st- we have a documentary out too called L Seven Pretend We're Dead. Yes, I know, I read about. Yeah, both. and we yep. and I was watching old footage of us, and I was like, wow, you know. For whatever flaws I thought each one of us had, I just saw strengths. And it was like, wow, she was a firecracker. Wow, what a yeah. great song. You know, like, so all these maybe jealousies or feelings of like, oh, who's more competent than the other or whatever. It's like when I watch at the whole band, I'm like, oh my God, every one of us is like holding. Are shit together and and really rocking it right now. So that's kind of a cool thing to look back on on that stuff. Sure, sure. If you're a band, you're a band. That's
3: that's the whole thing. Then that that's absolutely strong as can be, and that's a great thing to hang on to. I was more. I was always more or less the odd one out in everything I did. Yeah. And so therefore, yeah, you know, it's yeah. you know, I I'll put it this way: because I didn't fit anywhere, and I had that since I was a child. I didn't have a niche to fit into even as a kid growing up. I just didn't know where I fit. So I had to create it, and that's what I did. I created it. Even though I had my sisters with me, I was my own thing.
1: Now, in your doc, there's some weirdness with your sisters, or there was in the past because you got kind of plucked out of the group to go to England and groomed to be um, Susie Quattro. Yeah and there was still some weirdness, I think, in the family. Oh, yeah, sure. But um, at the time, when you guys were in The Pleasure Seekers, did you feel that kind of, like, uh, ego slights or any of that kind of stuff from your sisters, or was it kind of cool at the time, and then it got weird? Um, it was always, for, from. I
3: can only speak from my point of view. I don't speak for other people. I I just knew that one day... It was an inner inner knowledge, an instinct. One day, somebody's going to come along and tip me on the shoulder and say, come on, come over here. Mm-hmm. I knew I was a solo artist. I just knew it from day one. Uh, so when wow. it happened, I wasn't surprised, you know. I don't know if there was jealousy way back when. I don't know. I can't remember way back then. I was too much involved in being in the band and having fun. I think it really probably the resentment. I'll say the word the resentment. They don't like the word jealousy. I would say resentment started when I left the family home, and that was hard on everybody. There was hard on Got me it. emotionally, and it was hard on them. It was a hard thing to do, you know, your sisters, so it's never easy. But um, I stick by what I did. I stick by what I say. I had my path to follow, and that's what I did. And that's all I did was follow my own path. And that's all any of us can do in this world. Did I tell you I'm making a movie of my life now?
1: No. I, what what does that
3: mean? I'm. They're making a, a biopic. I've, I've signed. Yeah, it's it's a Hollywood movie. Um, I've signed. Well, it's uh, you know. amazing. Uh, tell me that's about great. it.
1: Oh my God!
3: I've been going through my book and my 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 unzipped, you know, and putting down pivotal points, you know, that I think are important. Oh, my God, this is going to be hard to do. I want to play a little role. I'm not quite sure what I want to do yet, but um, uh. I, I, I know. I want this to be as honest as the documentary was. So this is going to be hard, but I, I want that story out there, you know? I, I take it to, yeah. to, to my grave that I was the first one to have success doing it, not the first one, absolutely not, but the first one to have worldwide success, and I take that to my grave. Maybe that's what I put on my gravestone. And I want um. the movie to be as honest and as emotional and as truthful as my documentary is. That's what I'm fighting for. So I have formed a company with the people that were doing it, and I have Say So, which is good.
1: Say So is very important. So you'll be a consultant Absolutely. Uh, on or off set. Will you have any kind of um, say in the casting? Oh, yes. I have that in there, oh, too. Oh, my God. Any ideas? You don't have to spill the beans, but are you thinking of of Other people. Anyone? Other people are thinking of somebody. Um and it has been said already in an interview, so I can say it again.
3: And she, and her company has actually said, give us an offer. So Miley Cyrus has been considered.
1: Wow. But Holy shit. I know. But what I want to do is to... Well, she better put some clothes on. <laughs> That's the whole thing. You got to dress up, honey. Cover it up, Cyrus. <laughs> she's a cutie. Cover it up.
3: She's a cutie. She's, a cutie. she's talented. She she's an actress. She's a good she singer. Is. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I just know she's that... She's feisty. I, I will know. I'll put it this way. When I meet whoever the possible actress might be, I will know within milliseconds if they've got the right vibe. Not if they can act the right vibe, if they've got the right vibe. And then it will work. Cause I'm a movie buff. I watch movies all the time. I can, I can do scripts. I can do Gone with the Wind. Every line, every character. It's disgusting. It's anal. Okay, so I'm a movie but <laughs> I know it's terrible. So I will just Okay. I I know what works movie-wise, and I know that when I'm watching a film, if I can't buy into the characters right away, then I then I can't watch the film. So whoever plays me, they have to suck me in. That they're me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's something that you've you've done. Which I admire greatly because I am also a big fan of musicals. And you did Annie Get Your Gun. And I wrote one too, yeah. And I think that that's amazing. And I would love to do a musical, um, but I understand like the potential pitfalls to doing something like that. I like in your movie, you said like, you know, no one's going to keep me in a box. No, I say I wanna, bullshit
3: to that. I want to do this. I say bullshit to
1: it. yeah. You know,
3: if you're an so artist, is that a good time? If you're an artist, you have the right to explore your artistry however you may like to be. You know, I mean, I haven't lost my rock and roll credit. I'm still doing out there my leather suit, during my rock and roll. Nobody's questioned it, you know? Right. Um, if, if you're an artiste like I am, I am an artiste, unfortunately, and I hope I never, ever reach my goal. Because then you'll bury me, so I'm hoping I always got something to look forward to. Uh, if, if you feel the need, if you feel if you feel you can do it, that's the whole thing. If you feel you can do it, then you have the right to do it. I always will stand on rock and roll. That's that's where I sit comfortably, but I've done everything else too.
1: I just felt bad that your ex had a problem with it. You didn't have a problem with it, but your ex yeah. wasn't standing by you with that, which was his, a bummer. I think his problem was that I was
3: stepping away from his side of the stage, if you see what I mean. Uh That's who he was. He was in this band. He was with me. I was standing on his right-hand side, and that's what he loved. So when I started to branch out, he felt threatened by that. And um, I couldn't understand that, but at the same time, I'm going where I'm going. Either go with me or don't. Mm -hmm. You know? You don't ruin your life. Because somebody else doesn't want you to move forward. And I'm, t- I'm telling you this. I must be telling you this for a reason because that just came flying out of my mouth before I could stop it. So don't don't yeah. stop
1: moving forward because somebody else tells you not to. Then you're only, yeah, y- you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Sometimes other people, you know, my bandmate says, <laughs> this is such a good quote. She says, it's not your business what people think of you. And it's like, huh, that's good. I like that. You know, like... Caring what other people think about what you're going to do, you know. Sometimes I do care about what what other people think, and I shouldn't. It's just it's just human nature, I suppose. It is. But it uh, is. I like that you did it. I like that you were great at it. The clips that I saw of Annie get your gun, and um, you know, perfect voice for it, perfect look for it. I always it. knew I, mean, I could do it. Know.
3: I always knew. And you know, funny thing, I've just uh, been finishing off an album with Katie Tunstall. We we got along together, we met, she was in the documentary, we, we met up, we connected, we started to write, and we really forged a good thing, and we just completed an album, not due for release yet. But we watched the documentary at, at the house, she came, stayed with me, and this last five days we recorded. And she said to me, oh my God, I said what? She said, watching you just now and Annie Get Your Gun, I wouldn't know it was you. It's not your body yeah. language. It's not the way you look. It's not the way she said, You're completely different. I said, Well, I'm acting a role. That's right. Yeah,
1: that's what you're doing. That's right. It's a character. Yes. Yeah. And I played Annie it's, Oakley. It's called acting. Yeah. I even did yeah. the, yeah, I'm Annie Oakley. You know? <laughs> Amazing. How fun. Was it fun? Did you have a good time? How long did you do that run? I, that was about nearly a year. Um, wow. I
3: absolutely loved. The challenge um I stepped into Ethel merman's shoes, I mean, give me a break, just the biggest Broadway star ever, <laughs> and part of me was nervous, part wow. of me was nervous, you know oh, literally sure can I do was she was, oh, she she was, was the doing best it before oh, you she was the best, and they wouldn't give the permission to anybody to do it and uh, and they gave wow. it to me, and the um people who owned it came to the opening at Chichester and then said, "Yes, you can go to the west End. I loved the challenge, I loved being um Okay, I'll put it this way. I was brought up in rock and roll. From, I was brought up in everything else from the age of seven, classical music, percussion, blah, blah. But from 14, rock and roll. And even if you've got a little bit of a rough voice, now you know what I'm talking about. You go on stage, your voice isn't tip-top condition. You can kind of hide in the first two or three songs and let your voice warm into it, right? It'll warm up. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. it'll warm up. When you're doing a musical With a sit down audience and an orchestra. You might as well be naked. So it taught me a whole different discipline. And now, before I do my rock and roll shows, I do a vocal warm up. And people at festivals and stuff, they're looking, going, What is she doing? (laughs) So I've Mm. taken the very professional approach because I was told when I did, Yeah, Annie, get your gun by one of the. The experts. the guy that was, uh, he'd do the vocal warm-up every night with the cast and blah, blah. And he said, it's a good thing for you to remember. He said, there's only one thing that will prevent you from doing a show. One thing. I thought, oh, okay, what's that? He said, if you have complete laryngitis, everything else, Mm -hmm. you can warm up and get enough of a voice back to croak your way through a show. And he's completely correct. You might not be the best, you might not be the best that night, but you can get through the show. And that that stood me in good stead, I tell you. What a good bit of advice that was. So then I didn't get scared yeah. anymore. Then even if I didn't have a great voice, I thought, okay, I know what to do. Do a slow warm-up, little bit, little bit, little bit, you know. And I don't do the sex trucks and rock and roll. I to get my sleep. I rest during the day. I don't go out on a gig day. The audience gets one zillion percent of me every show.
1: Now this is a. Uh, speaking of which, were you ever a drug person? And you don't have to answer that, of course. No, I never was. I'm just was. pulling a Howard Stern uh, up in your business. No, <laughs> question. no, I never
3: was. I tell you, you know, I, I'm a '60s teenager, and so the thing when I was growing up was marijuana. That was it was a hippie generation, and uh, lucky for me that the few times I did it, it, it just didn't suit me. And yeah. in fact, instead of making me laid back. It made me speedy. And believe me, if you're at a pot party and you're smoking marijuana, you don't want somebody speeding next to you. So it had the opposite effect of me. <laughs> I heard somebody say at a party I went to one time, "Don't bring her next time." <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> Jesus! So not for you, me. Not uh, for me. Do you drink? And I don't at drink. All? I don't drink when I work at all. I'm very stick around. <laughs> I don't smoke, but I do say, quite honestly, that when I come off the stage. I hate the feeling, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it when you step off the stage. So then I want my glass of champagne immediately. And that's all I do. Uh Other than that, I'm quite square. I take care of myself. I jog, I do yoga, I go to the gym. I do two-hour shows now with a 15-minute interval, two hours by myself, and I'm not even out of breath at the end of it. Which is nuts.
1: Do you tour the U.S. much? No,
3: and I want to get back there.
1: Now, what the hell? Everybody do you always. Say, I a, know I got to get back. Do you have? I know. Do you have a theory, or is there a reason that I am unaware of why your music wasn't played very much in the states, or or that whole kind of uh, English sort of glam glitter? Um, Rock wasn't played much in the U.S.? Why is that? I don't really know. I know that Mike
3: Chapman said it in the film that he thought something was missing. I don't know. But I was never glam. I was rock and roll. I think what Debbie Harry said was probably the truth that I was a little bit too early, you know? And maybe I was. They weren't quite ready for that change. Everybody else was all through Europe. Australia, fine. They weren't quite ready. They were in the eagle mentality. And I think that once then I had done Happy Days and I'd established... Leather Tuscadero, as a bass playing reality, then it all was okay. That's how I see it. That's my theory.
1: Yeah, it's just weird that that you are a worldwide megastar and in the US you're a star, but but you just didn't I get know the it's f- not fucking airplane. It's, it's like it's outrageous. outrageous. And
3: I do think that what didn't help also is um, God bless him, Mickey most, he's not with us anymore. But he did keep changing record labels. So, instead of building uh-huh. an artist on one label and making them part of the you know part of the fabric, he kept chopping and changing. So, I think that also might have mm-hmm. been part of the problem. But anyway, everybody's path this is a path I always said. I'm quite happy with what I've accomplished. I'm still mm-hmm. releasing. I'm still working. I'm still happening. I'm still
1: happy. I'm still thrilling audiences. So what more can you ask for in this world, eh? Exactly. But also hearing that in the documentary, that the runaway gals when you came to LA they were hanging around I you know. a lot and <laughs> really into you and and how great it, there's there is a thread you know like and it's cool it's they were blown away by you they they got their band happening and then it's great on and on and on it's really a cool thing I have one more question for you, Susie. Uh, Is this your zinger? Uh, Is this your zinger question? No, it's not. Oh, okay. (laughs) But I I heard, I heard this in your interview and the Australian interview. Do you really have an ego room? Because I may need one, or I may need a check your ego room. (laughs) Okay, I'm not sure. I have one. You do have one, and you should.
3: And I'll tell you about it. Just this last thing to end it on. This is good. So, (laughs) okay, I'm a hoarder. I've always been a hoarder, starting with collecting all the hotel room keys when I was 14. And I collected them until I was 18. Wow. And then I dumped it in a mailbox. I got bored with it. But I've always collected everything. And finally, I decided to do an ego room in my home. And the, the, the funny part is, is you go up two flights of stairs. It's a three-story house. Two flights of stairs. And on the third floor... It's crooked. It's built, finished being built in 1590, so it's old. And you can you can crack wow. your head. You can fall on the floor. You really struggle to get to this big wooden door. <laughs> and on it, I had a plaque made, and it says Ego Room, mind your head. And you go in, and the oh. first thing you see on the right-hand side is the Red Book famous TV show, This Is Your Life. And it is. There's posters all over the wall. There's passes, there's awards there's suits, there's guitars, there's scrapbooks, there's cassettes, there's DVDs albums, every possible thing you think of is in this room it's the quietest room in the house it's the most peaceful room in the house and I go up there and I just do everything Susie and here's the important part you come back out and you shut the door Mm. and this is how I have stayed normal for all these years.
1: Who does the dusting? Do you do the dusting?
3: <laughs> Who dusts That's your it. ego room? <laughs> no, I don't dust my ego room. Now, this is where my diva comes in. I send my cleaner, I've got to dust it every now and <laughs> <laughs> again. But you Very know what? It, doesn't, it does not get used much, so it doesn't need much dusting. You right. know, I don't need to dust the ego off. It has a room of its own. <laughs> <laughs> right on.
1: All right. Well, okay. That, I think listen, that's a it was great rap. talking to you, Ms. Quattro. Yeah, and I hope we meet up sometime soon. I hope so too. I wish that you the be best amazing. of luck. Thanks so much for doing this. I think I'm going to have to look into uh, some kind of an ego maybe closet. <laughs> I don't think I have closet. enough to fill a room, yeah, but, but maybe that's, that's dangerous because if you have an ego closet, you have to come out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <Okay>. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Donnie. It's a great to talk to you. Yeah, great talking to you too. Uh, all right, we'll meet up soon. I hope, Susie. We will. Thanks. Bye. Take care, bye.
0: Susie Cuatro, Donita Sparks, thank you so much for joining us here on the Talk House podcast. Listeners, make sure you check out Suzy Q if you're in one of the countries it's currently screening in or when it comes to On Demand soon.
2: I can't wait to see it.
0: Today's show is recorded by Ali Niku in LA and Jan Strail at Elevate Studios in Hamburg. It was produced by Annie, myself, and Mark Yoshizumi. Our researcher for today's episode was Reese Higgins.
2: As always, our theme song was composed and performed by The Range.
0: Listeners, if you enjoyed today's show, definitely make sure to subscribe to the Talk House podcast. We have some amazing, amazing shows coming up for you in 2020, including one that, Annie, while you were producing this remotely, Mark and I were in the studio producing here in Brooklyn, Blood Orange is Dev Hines in conversation with Beverly Glenn Copeland.
2: I can't wait to hear that.
0: So good, coming later this month. Till next week, I'm Elia Einhorn.
2: I'm Annie Fell. Peace!
0: Bye. And Suzy Q.